This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. It's been almost 10 years since Hurricane Sandy devastated several northeastern states, causing nearly $82 billion in damages and over 100 deaths. And even now, New York City, one of the hardest-hit regions, is still trying to recover. According to a new report from the city's comptroller released on Thursday, New York City has only spent nearly a quarter of the $15 billion it received in emergency relief, raising questions about why the city is slowly recovering and its preparedness for future storms. And those findings also come as Puerto Rico and Florida begin their own recovery efforts in the wake of Hurricane Ian and Fiona, with billions of dollars likely heading their way. So today we check in with Politico's Danielle Moyo-Dunn about why the recovery efforts in New York are taking so long, and what city officials are recommending to not only recover, but also prepare for the next storm. It's Friday, October 14th. So Danielle, what did a new report from New York City's Comptroller highlight about the city's recovery efforts after Hurricane Sandy? Yeah, so City Comptroller Brad Lander put out a report on Thursday, which found that the city still hasn't spent roughly a quarter of the $15 billion it received from the federal government in disaster relief. And the reason this is so relevant is we are now rapidly approaching a decade after the deadly storm hit the New York area, and we're still seeing a lot of these projects have not come to fruition, are facing delays. And this report tried to look into why that's still happening almost 10 years later. So why is that happening? What did the report say? So one of the main findings of the report is that much of the unspent funding is tied to delays with planned resiliency projects. So when you think about it, you get all this money and a lot of it, of course, is going to go towards recovery efforts, you know, rebuilding houses that were destroyed, cleaning up debris or downed utility lines. So a lot of that spending has finally been completed. We're seeing a lot of those projects close. But there's another bucket of funding that was supposed to go towards resiliency work, things like elevating streets in low-lying neighborhoods or installing new flood walls. And those are the projects that have still fallen by the wayside. Now, there's a few reasons for that. Some of it can be political disagreements over how to spend the funding leading to delays in the projects. Others you can kind of chalk up to This was an unprecedented move to try and use this as an opportunity to not just rebuild, but make the city more resilient. And a lot of it has become a learning experience of what are the challenges to doing that, the bureaucratic challenges where you're dealing with federal, state, local agencies, and a slew of reviews that officials may have not been prepared for or were kind of learning on the fly. But the bottom line is that the resiliency work is still not where it needs to be. Wow. So what does the lack of progress then on those resiliency projects mean for the city's preparedness for future storms? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the critical thing, right? So keep in mind, New York has 520 miles of shoreline. Many neighborhoods are very exposed in the event of a catastrophic storm. I think one way to look at it is last year when the remnants of Hurricane Ida passed through, many didn't expect it to be really anything but a terrible rainstorm, but it caused severe flooding in both New York and New Jersey and in New York City. It was a very tragic outcome where 11 people died because the water inundated these basement apartments they lived in and and they drowned. And what we're seeing is that we're already seeing that we're not prepared for these kinds of storms that experts have warned will become more frequent and intense. And we saw that last year. We, of course, saw it in Sandy, and we're going to continue to see it until we complete a lot of this work. And so what sort of steps then is the comptroller recommending for the city to actually be able to to make progress on these resiliency projects. And have you heard from your sources if the city has some sort of plan to speed up the projects? Yeah, so there's a few things there. On one level, the report just recommends just better transparency and communication. For example, the city is only tracking how fast it gets federal dollars at the door, but it's not easy to find the city's own capital contributions towards these projects. Keep in mind, Most things, they usually require a local share. So there needs to be some more transparency about the city's role in funding these projects. And with more transparency, the hope is you can kind of hold more people to account as to why some of these projects aren't being completed. Another one was he recommended having a more diverse funding source for future resiliency work. This is something I've heard a lot in just reporting the subject generally is kind of this frustration that the city doesn't get funding for resiliency until after a disaster occurs. And this hope that there will be a more proactive approach to funding things ahead of time. I think there's a a hope that the infrastructure bill that passed on the federal level last year could play a role there. But there's also, you know, a role for the city and the state to look into its own funding sources here. And then to get to your other point about is the city moving proactively on this. There was actually some movement on Wednesday where the city said it was adopting one of the initial recommendations made by the Comptroller report, which is basically a broader effort to rejig how capital projects go through the pipeline. You know, there's been a pretty big understanding from Mayor Eric Adams that across the board, not just with Sandy, the city is just very slow and inefficient at completing capital projects. So on Wednesday, they said they are going to start adopting initial recommendations that came from a task force that was convened earlier this year to look into it. There's definitely a broader effort by the city to try and speed up capital projects across the board, and they kind of started to move on that on Wednesday. Also, on Thursday, FERC Chair Richard Glick said he's optimistic he'll get a confirmation hearing by the end of the year, in part because he's received reassurances from Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in the White House. That's what Glick said during a conference hosted by the American Council on Renewable Energy, adding that the reconfirmation process was not under his control. Glick's term officially ended on June 30th, and he has until the end of the year to be reconfirmed. 
President Joe Biden has already renominated the chair back in May. That means Glick's renomination is now in the hands of Senator Joe Manchin, who chairs the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, which is responsible for moving his confirmation forward. Manchin has indicated he is warming to the chair lately, despite criticizing his gas policies earlier this year. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power switch, and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Nirmal Michael is the podcast producer. Raghu Manubalan edited the show this week. Jenny Amitz is the executive producer of audio at Politico. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back on Monday. This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. Energy demand is on the rise. That's why Chevron plans to increase its oil production by 15% over 2021 levels in the Permian Basin, all while continuing to reduce both carbon and methane emissions intensities. Learn more at chevron.com slash Permian Production.